Okay, thank you everybody for tuning in. Um, I hope the audio is good enough here on the recording. We are continuing tonight with our discussion of the Musaf of Shabbat. And last week we covered Tikanta Shabbat and Lamoshe Tzivita, the different versions of the Shmona Esrei and how the Shmona Esrei developed in the Musaf throughout the generations. We looked at the meaning of the words. We looked at the various um, misoras that happened, especially in the Moroccan community, that some say Tikanta Shabbat, and now some say Lamoshet Sivita. And with concluding the study of the Musaf, uh, the Shmona Essay of Musaf, the next step is to look at the Kiddushah of the Musaf, which is a special Kiddushah, which we say during the Chazarat HaShatz, which stands out from every other Kiddushah of the weekday and of even the Shabbat. So the unique feature that the Kiddushah has is that the Kiddushah of Musaf on Shabbat, in virtually every single Nusach, has Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. It adds some words in there. There's, if I, yeah, I have a door in front of me, thank God. Um, we have, Hu Yifen Merachmav La'amo HaMeyachadim Shemo Erev Avok B'chol Yom Tamid Omrim Pa'amayim Be'ava Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. And then we say, Hu Elokeinu Hu Avinu Hu Malkeinu Moshienu, and then it ends off, Ani Hashem Elokeichem. So we end with the, we add the first verse and the last verse of Kriyat Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad being the first verse, and the last verse being Hashem Elokeichem. Now, in the time of the Rishonim, they called this Kedusha Rabbah, which is really funny because that's a very confusing term. There is something known as Kedusha Rabbah, which is the Kedush of the daytime of Shabbat. It got that name out of respect. We discussed this last time when we spoke about the, the Kedush of the day, that because halachically speaking it's an inferior Kedush, therefore it received the name Kedusha Rabbah. However, this is not Kiddush Rabbah, this is Kedush Rabbah, this is the Kiddush, the, or Kiddush Rabbah, which is the, uh, the greater Kiddush, which contains more verses, contains a Shema, and it contains Ani Hashem Elokeichem. So, the only um, rites, the only uh, customs, or Minhagim, which omitted the, these passages are that of Rambam, and the Temanim, following him. Now, this follows the original early minhag of the Geonim, where the Geonim would never change the Kedushah that they said, whether it was Shabbat, Shachrit, Mincha, Yom Tov, all the time they would always say the same Keter Yetunu Lecha. There is a version in the, in the Sidurim of the Geonim, it began with Keter, it said Az Bekol Gadol. They had a very simple uh, Kedushah that they used all the time. However, even though that was the practice in the time of the Geonim, this was not the practice in all places in the time of the Geonim because our earliest sources for this Kiddushah Rabbah are in fact in the responsa or the Shelot Teshuvot of the Geonim themselves. So the first Teshuvah, the first responsa from, or response from the Geonim, which enlightens us to this practice is from Rabbi Natronai Gaon. Rabbi Natronai Gaon 
is quoted in the Seder of Amram. And we don't quite know what the question was, but the answer is pretty clear. And I'll just read it to you from the Seder of Amram as we have it. This is the minhag of both of the yeshivot of Babel, meaning both Surah and Pumpedita. Our Kedusha just has these three connecting verses. It begins with Keter, then it has Azbekol Rashkatol, and then it continues with Mimakom Acham Alkenu. Ube Musaf Shel Shabbat, however, on the Musaf of Shabbat, Vishalim Tov, Vishalim Kipurim, Ubeni Yilash, Shalim Kipurim. Right, so on the Musaf of Shabbat, the Musaf of Yom Tov, the mus, mus, and the Musaf of, I'm sorry, and in the Kedushah of Ne'ilav Yom Kippur, Anu Omrim Pa'amayim V'liyot Lachem Lelukim. We add these two things, Pa'amayim Ve'ava and Liyot Lachem Lelukim and Ani Hashem Elokeichem. Aval Beroshei Chodashim, on Rosh Chodash, V'cholo Shomoed, meaning other times that we have Musaf, and Anu Omrim, one of the, um, we, don't, we don't say this pa'amayim be'ava. So certain musafs we do, certain musafs we don't. There's a, um, a rabbi, by the name of, rabbi by the name of Rabbi Yerachmiel Brody, who is a researcher who compiled the Shelotu Chuvot of Rav Natronai Gaon, and he is a, an outstanding, intimidating scholar. And in his notes on this teshuvah, which, by the way, are extraordinarily intimidating just at his level. Um, he just mentions that clearly the distinction here for when you do and when you do not say sorry, when you do or do not say Shema and Hashem Elokeichem Emet is, the distinction is whether or not that day is Asur Bimelacha. Meaning, are you allowed to do that milacha or not? Are you allowed to do milacha on that day or not? On Rosh Chodesh and Cholam you are allowed to do milacha. Therefore, for some reason, it follows that we don't do the Shema. However, on every other Musaf, Shabbat, Yom Tov, and Neilav Yom Kippur, um, which in the Ilah in itself is called a Musaf, you do not, you do say Shema Israel. So, why the, the distinction should be Isur Milacha, it's not clear. But that is clear from the, the, the days which he chose. And those among you, it's not clear who you is, he's responding to somebody who changed the, the tefillah somehow. You, the, those of you who like changing the prayers according to the way you like it, they are not doing correctly. They are changing the minhag of the academies of Bavel. From the, they're deviating from the, from the practices of the Shibot of Babel. And the Geonim centralized their power and they wanted to centralize the authority of the Torah to Babel. So he uh, reprimanded such people for changing the Nusach, which is not in accordance with the Shibot of Babel. Uminhag Shalanu, our Minhag of the great Shibot of Babel. We do, don't change from what the, the rabbis wrote in the Talmud. Whether it's Shabbat, whether it's Yom Tov. And if we arrive at a place, meaning if us rabbis arrive at a place, and a person is getting up and saying things for tefillah which aren't appropriate, we remove him from the podium. He's no longer allowed to be a chazan. So very forceful words. This is how it's done. This is the Minhag of the Shibot of Bavel, and this is the way we do it.
Now, this teshuvah, although incredibly valuable as, as it is for a source of information, to tell us that this minhag is very early, at least from the 9th century, it does not tell us why in the world we do this. What does Shema Yisrael have anything to do with the Kedushah of Musaf? So regarding this, there's a story. And this story is brought in the subsequent Teshuvah, quoted here in the Seder of Amram, in the name of Rav Sar Shalom Gaon, who was, as far as I could remember, the Rebbe of Rav Natronai Gaon, so around the same century. Oh, no, sorry, he wasn't technically the Rebbe, he was the predecessor. When he stepped down as Gaon of Sura, Rav Natronai Gaon took over. Okay, so... Okay, and here is a, a response from that Gaon. So he says, the question seems to have been, do we do this Pamayim by Shachrit too? He answers, the Minhag of the Yeshivot of Bavel is to only do this by Musaf of Shabbat and and the Yom Tov. And here's the reason. Get ready for the story. There was a decree imposed on the Jewish people by their enemies. Not to read Kriyat Shema whatsoever. The Shaliach Tzibor would say Kriyat Shema by swallowing it, in other words, saying it very quickly or murmuring it, and every tefillah, shachrit, ben b'chol, ben b'shabbat. So what he's trying to say is, there was a time when the Jewish people had a decree imposed upon them by a draconian government, which told them that they were not allowed to say Kriyat Shema for some reason. They weren't allowed to do Kriyat Shema. And therefore, because they weren't allowed to do it, the shliach tzibor would hide the fact that he was doing it by doing it quickly during the Kiddushah, during the repetition of every prayer of the, of, uh, the, uh, of the week. Ben b'chol ben b'shabbat. V'kivan shabbat la And once the, the, the decree was annulled, v'hayu porsin et shema kitakana umitpalim kitikna, sorry. Once the, you know, they were able to do it again properly, their idea was, okay, let's just get rid of this practice at all. Let's get the Shema out of the Kiddushah. It was only there as like a, you know, as a bidiyavad. Like we, had, we weren't allowed to say Kriyat Shema, so we ended up saying it in the, you know, just one sentence really quickly just to be Yotze. We said this, the sentence of Shema really quickly to be Yotze in the Kiddushah, but we don't need this anymore. But, However, the, the sages of that generation said, Let's put it in Musaf, because Musaf doesn't get any Kriyat Shema. Therefore, let's put it in Musaf. By that logic, you would also put it in Mincha, but for some reason they decided on Musaf. But why Musaf, not Mincha? Again, strange. But in other, in other words, in order so that generations of people should know this miracle, they put it in Musaf forever. Therefore, we do it in, in, in um, Musaf, but not Shachrit, because Shachrit already had a Shema. Musaf didn't get a Shema. Okay. This is one reading of Rav Sar Shalom Gaon. And just to summarize, what would happen? The, 
a bad government told them they weren't allowed to say Kriyat Shema. Therefore, the Shliach Tzibor would, they weren't allowed to do it in public, and therefore the Shliach Tzibor would quietly say it, Behavla'ah, in the Kiddushah, so everyone should be Yotzei with at least one Pasuk, Bidiyavad, maybe it was even at a late hour, and then when, they, when, the, when the decree was annulled, they left this in one of the Kiddushot, instead of doing it in shach, you know, every Kiddushah, they did it in only one Kiddushah of the week to remember the, the miracle forever, and they chose Musaf, because Shachrit already has a Kriyat Shema. This is one version of this Teshuvah. Other versions of it, and again, there are many, have a slightly, they, they differ slightly on the, on the details. For example, they would say that you know, the Kahal, the, the Shiatsi board would say it out loud, but the um, people would say it quietly out with, uh, with him. Then some would say that, let me just uh, gather my thought for a second, that the reason they chose Musaf was because the guards of the government, whatever government it was, the guards would be there throughout the entire Shachrit, but after Kriyat Shema time, right after Yotzer, they would guard. The Jewish people would finish the syn- in the synagogue, they'd finish uh, the Kriyat Shema section, and they would start Damida. And by that time, the guards had already checked, okay, we made sure the Jews didn't say Kriyat Shema and Yotzer. So by that time, the guards had left. So after Kriyat Torah, when they began Musaf and the guards had already left, th- at that point, they said Kriyat Shema in the repetition by Kedushah. That's yet another version of this. So most of these early Gaonic versions are scant of detail. However, there's a version in the Shibole Haleket which contains even more detail. And in his opinion, this, is, this story is identified with the famous King Yazdegard II. And this story we discussed back when we learned um, This is a passage which is read from Tanadevei Eliyahu in the beginning of the Shachrit of the weekday. And we discussed this many moons ago, possibly two years ago, that there was an incident in the 5th century where there was a king named Yazdegard. He was Yazdegird or whatever, some some. some old middle Persian name like that. And the first Yazdegerd was very friendly towards the Jews. Yazdegerd I was, you know, mentioned in the Gmaran Zvachim that he had close relationships with some of the Amoraim. And Yazdegerd II was the exact opposite. He had the zeal of the converted um, in that he was a Zoroastrian and he did not make life easy for the Jews to say the least. So the assumption, okay, so the assumption of many is that this is the same Yazdegerd uh, identified in the Egeritor of Shiragon. So in the Egeritor of Shiragon, he has this, um, he, the, if we have time, I'll just, I'll just say this really quickly. The Egeritor of Shiragon was a letter sent by Rabbi Shiragon with his son, Rabbi Gaon, to Karwan in order to give them a, a history of the Jewish, of the oral tradition of the Torah. And in there, there's a lot of very valuable history. Um, and one of the hist- historical events there is that one of the kings, Yazdegerd, um, 
decreed upon the Jewish people that they weren't allowed to say Kriyat Shema and they weren't allowed to keep Shabbat. And eventually he was either assassinated or he died in his sleep. So one of the, one of the rabbis prayed for his demise and he indeed uh, died. So this story is mushed together in the Shiboli Haleket and he puts two and two together. He says that this King Azdegard is the one of this story and he's the reason why the Kriyat Shema ended up inside the Tefilat Musaf. So he puts these two stories together from the Yigert Shir Gaon and the, um, the Teshuvah from Rav, Rav Sar Shalom Gaon and he puts it into one Teshuvah. So it could be that this was an accurate, uh, authentic version of the Teshuvah of Rav Sar Shalom Gaon. However, um, many researchers assume that this is just a, mish, a mushed together version of the two Teshuvot because they were trying to reconcile the two of them and put these two stories together that this uh, Yazdegerd was the uh, antagonist of this story who made life difficult for the Jewish people. It's funny that the, the language in the Gert or Shira Gaon is that a snake swallowed him in his bed in the middle of the night. So it's not clear if that's some Aramaic uh, expression or, or he was assassinated in some way, but uh, be that as it may, uh, this king met an untimely end. And for the same reason, uh, it is suspected that that's why it is suspected, but not proven, and, and there, I, I could lead anyone to some research on this, that, that this is the reason why Elud Varim, sorry, that Le'olam Yehe Adam Yireh Shemaim Seter Kibagaloi, which contains the Kriyat Shema, was incorporated into the morning Shachrit so that people could say Shema before they came to Shul. This is the, uh, an extension of that story. Okay, so there's another version. There's a couple, three different alternative timelines to this that they're alternative enough that I, I just have to to point them out. The first is in the Pardes. The Seder, the Sefer HaPardes, which is from the school of Rashi, contains a line there, which I don't even know what to make of it, but it says that these antagonists were the, the Christian deceivers that conspired or joined with the Greeks to harass the Jewish people. I don't know what that sentence even means. I, I, I think the Greeks were long gone by the time the Christian, that Christianity was born. My history and my brain just breaks when I see a sentence like that because I, I don't even know what it means. It, it could have been a, a, uh, an, a, an insertion of text by someone who was less uh, informed into the Paradise. We know that not everything in the Paradise was written by Rashi, obviously. So it could have been an insertion by somebody whose history, even if he was a Tamachacham, was not very good and he was just making an assumption. But I don't believe the Christians. Uh, I don't believe that the Christians and the Greeks had a situation where they got together to harass the Jews in the fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh centuries. I, I'm not really aware of such an episode. But if someone is, they could tell me and, and knock me on my head that I'm unaware of such an episode. Okay. Because it, 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 just to, to clarify, in, in those times, I mean, you know, Christians and Jews actually didn't have too many issues, and many of the, the, the problems that, that the Jewish people had in the fifth century were not related to, to religion. It was more just the Dark Ages, and you had you know, a lot of other problems, but not specifically because they were Jews. Um, okay, so here we go. One other um, alternative version is a teshuvah brought in the Shelo Teshuvot. Um, it's called Shuvot HaGeonim Mizrahu Marav. And this is also brought in the Sefer HaYitim. Um, this version says very different 
than the Shuvot of the Gonim that we just saw in the Seder of Amram. In the Seder of Amram, it said the Minhag of the both Yeshivot is to say this Kedushah for Musaf um, uh, to, by all the days which are Asur and Melacha, right? This one says the opposite. It says that one of or all of the Yeshivot of Bavel, depending on the reading you have, didn't say it at all. Only some of the, of the synagogues in Bavel said this. It is possible that this uh, that this teshuva is, but he doesn't say it's a bad thing. He says it's fine. People who say this is really nice, but this is not something the standard yeshivot say. And some attribute it to Rav Haigaon. So it's very unlikely. It's hard to decipher it. Some suggest that it's a misreading, and I was supposed to say by shachrit the yeshivot don't do it, but we do do it by musaf. Okay, that's another alternative version. Now, ironically, even though all these sources that we've had so far to find the early history and to find the story which made this Shema enter the Musaf were from the, from the, the response of the Geonim, the earliest source that we actually have for this um, explanation, for this etiology, is from a letter from somebody known as Pirkoi ben Baboy. Pirkoi ben Bavoy was a student of somebody named Abba, who in turn was a student of Rabbi Yehudai Gaon, one of the earlier Gaonim from the uh, early 9th century, possibly the 8th century, if I'm remembering correctly. No, yeah, Rabbi Yehudai lived in the 8th century. So Pirkoi ben Baboy quotes Rabbi Yehudai Gaon, who, if I'm remembering correctly, lives in the 8th century. And in order to explain what Pirkoi ben Baboy is saying, let me just give you a little context and background. Pirkoi ben Baboy was a Babylonian scholar. He learned in the academies of Bavel. It is possible that he lived originally in Eretz Israel and he studied there and then he went to Bavel, but he is clearly a student somehow of those academies. And he wrote a letter which was found in different fragments in the Kairogeniza, which is called Igeret Pirkoi ben Bavoy. And in it, he is sending a letter to a community. And it's not clear which one. It's, some have assumed that it, may, it was a community in Eretz Yisrael. Most assume that it's, uh, he's sending this letter to Kairwan, which was a city in what would be modern-day Tunisia. And this letter is a letter strongly encouraging, if not reprimanding, the community for adapting customs which deviated from the Geonic Babylonian customs. And his pole- it's a polemic, and he argues in this letter that they should follow the, the Torah Shabal Peh, the oral tradition of the Torah, exactly to the letter of the law of the Babylonian academies, who are the inheritors of the Talmud Bavli and the inheritors of the true Torah Shabal Peh, and everyone has to follow their psak exactly because they are the source of all the correct knowledge and nobody else has valid minhagim anymore. Even though Eretz Yisrael, at least in Kesaria and Tiveria, developed the Talmud Yerushalmi, those days were long gone and the Torah of Bavel was superior, especially for psak, and that's how everybody had to paskin. And so this letter was sent to that community to tell them as much. And one of his strongest uh, opinions was about liturgical orthodoxy, meaning that you have to follow the nusach of the yeshivot in Bavel because the things that you're doing are absolutely wrong. And he 
argues this point based on a history that he heard from Rabbi Yehudai Gaon. And although historians take his testimony that we, we, we have no reason to doubt his testimony that the community to which he was sending this letter followed this practice because this is what he was arguing with them about. He was arguing to them, you should not be saying Kiddushah only on Shabbat Shachrit. Meaning the communities of Eretz Yisrael, originally the Minhag was, and this is reliable, we know this to be a fact, they only said Kiddushah in the morning of Shachrit Shabbat. They never said Kiddushah the whole week. They would only do it morning Shachrit Shabbat and they would add Shema Yisrael. And he tells them that this is, this is wrong. And the reason it's wrong is because I heard from Rabbi Hudai Gaon, my Rebbe's Rebbe, that once upon a time there was a, um, a, a Gezerah, there was an evil decree, and no one was able to say Kriyat Shema, and therefore, let me actually find the exact, if, if, I, could, if I have it open, I'm sorry if I could pull this up in Hebrew, uh, Jacob Mann has a... a uh, uh, research article on this that he wrote in 1927. Uh, it's called uh, Changes in the Divine Service of the Synagogue Due to Religious Persecutions. Here. It says, So he says that what happened was, was that the empire would not allow them to pray daily, but they would let them to come to shul on one day. They would allow them to come to, come to the synagogue one day of the week, and they were only allowed to just do Amidah and a few piyutim. They could only do you know, one prayer and a couple of songs and leave. And so that was what they were left with. And because this Malchut Edom, right, that, uh, that this, uh, you know, Edomite nation uh, oppressed the Jewish people, they, this is what they ended up having to do. They put Kriyat Shema inside the Musaf. But now that Hashem was kind to us and bitul gezerotah, ubau yishma'ilim, that, that, uh, Hashem was mevatel der gzerot, he annulled their decrees, and the, the, the Arabs came, the hinichum lasuk Torah, and allowed them to learn Torah, and they took over from this other kingdom. Um, everything should return, bimkomo ketikun chazal. In other words, everything should return to the way it was, and there's, and there's your, everything has to be done appropriately, I'm just going to skip the Hebrew here precisely, according to the takana of chazal. So Jacob Mann, in his analysis of this piece, assumes that this is talking about Heraclius. Um, Heraclius, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a Byzantine uh, emperor who conquered Eretz Yisrael from the Persians and famously had a lot of repressions and oppressions on the Jewish people. And he assumes that this Heraclius, who in turn was later driven out by Muslim conquerors, is the, the antagonist of this story. And he, if you look at his article from 1927, he tries to align specifically the history with uh, this story. Now this claim, this historical claim that this is Heraclius, also pushes it ahead 200 years because Heraclius was an emperor in the 7th century, not in the 5th century. So this would make this Sha'at Hashmad much later. Now, we don't have to accept Pirkoi ben Baboy's history here, thinking that, uh, that this is the reason why Kiddushah was only done on the Shachrit of Shabbat, because we have other sources that it was done even earlier than that. So just from the, 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 uh, the PU team, from the Gemara and the Yushalmi, it's very clear that people were doing the Kiddushah of Musaf 
only, sorry, the Kedushah, of Shabbat, uh, the Kedushah in Eretz Yisrael, the, the Kedushah was only on the Shachrit of Shabbat for much, long, much earlier than the seventh century. So we could reject Pirkoi ben Maboy's historical opinion, even if we're not rejecting his um, halachic opinion, which he was arguing with those people to change from their, what he thought was an erroneous minhag. Okay. There is much, uh, much more discussion on this point. Now, I, I'll just point to, I, maybe I didn't intro introduce it this way, but many a scholar have received their PhD trying to enlighten and illuminate the history of the Kiddushah, and specifically even the Kiddushah of the Musaf, how it developed this way. This is a very thorny topic. The dating and the history of the Kiddushah is very difficult. So it's probably among the most difficult topics in Jewish liturgy to, to trace because of the innumerable amount of sources and knowledge required to cover this. So, you know, we're scratching the surface here about how much, uh, you know, pilpul you could do with every historical uh, point, but we're going to get as far as we could. Okay, one last thing, Sadia Gaon. Um, who is from Egypt mentions this practice to add psukim like Shema and Hashem al Gechem and Nimloch Hashem Lolam. A, a few, a, he, he mentions a few psukim, but he says that they don't hurt. He doesn't actually endorse it, but he says these are nice, they don't hurt, which sounds like it was a reshut and it wasn't um, practiced everywhere that he was aware. Therefore, the Rambam, who typically follows the practices similar to Sadiq Aon, and the Temanim, till today, they don't do this. That's why uh, we have this alternate uh, tradition. Okay, so now quickly we're going to discuss the text, and then we will discuss, let's see, what lastly are we going to discuss? A few different pratim to the end of Musaf, so that we can close the Musaf today, and continue with Mincha next week, hopefully. Okay, very quickly. So it should be noted that, as we said before, that besides for the additions here by Musaf, the Minhag uh, in the Seder of Amram and the Sadi Gaon is, you know, every Kedushah is the same before, besides the Kedushah of, of Musaf of Shabbat. Fine. Now, all of these connecting verses, if you look at a Sidur, especially the early Sidurim, they do this properly. There's a Pythonic style, or a style of the Py of the Pythonim, of the poets, which is called Shirshur, or Shilshul, right? To, um, to, to chain, to concatenate. And what this does is, poetically, is every time you bring in a lead stanza, you will follow the next stanza of the poem by chaining it to the previous stanza. So, for example, let's, this is just very obvious. Kedosh, 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 Hashem Sebakot, Moloch Laaretz, Kivodo. What's the last word? Kivodo. So we chain it. Kivodo, Malei Olam, Musharatav, Shoalim. Right? And then how, how does it end? Baruch Kivodo Hashem, Mimikomo. And how do we chain it? Mimikomo, Hu Yifen Barachamav. Lastly, Shema Yisrael Hashem Akeinu, Hashem Echad. Then we continue, Echad Hu Elokeinu. The original versions in the Svaradik Sidurim, the Ashkenaz Sidurim, all said Echad Hu Elokeinu. I don't know how, why, who, what, when took out this Echad, but this is clear that the original correct Nusach is Echad Hu because that's a connection to the Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Okay, so this is called uh, Shirshur. And this Shirshur is typically associated with the Israeli Paitanim, the early 
Paitanim from Eretz Yisrael. So this lends credence, lends support to those who theorize that the Kedushah was originally conceived in Eretz Yisrael and then it was actually dominated by the, in Bavel. Okay, let's not go down that rabbit hole yet again. Um, there is originally the, the uh, Romaniot Nusach of the Greek Jews, the last connecting verses between uh, which are um, all the way until did not exist so it could be that those were developed later uh, the beginning I forgot to mention I should, I should put this earlier the beginning of the Kedusha starts with Keter in the Sfaradi versions the Ashkenazim begin with and this is because of Rameer Shliach Tzibor Although in the Machsor Vitri it says Keter Yitinulacha, the French original French minhag was to do Keter. I could not find an example of the Ashkenaz minhag in time, but the the definitely the French minhag was to do uh, to to begin with Keter Yitinulacha. The uh, Sidur of Shom, of, of uh, the Hasidic Ashkenaz brings from of Meir Shliachtibur, who was a very big uh, rabbi in in. Germany at the time, who was also a noted Shliach Tzibur, that Rameer Shliach Tzibur's minhag was to begin this tefillah with Naritzcha v'naktishach. So because of him, uh, this minhag became the standard Ashkenaz introduction for uh, the the Musaf of Kedushav Shabbat. Sorry, the Kedushav Musaf of Shabbat. And the reason, th- there's not no clear reason given for it, but this is this, this was his choice. Uh, Rav Shlomo ben of Shimshon Migermeza points out that we say twice with love we say he notes is the Avaraba and the Avat Olam before we say Kriyat Shema we say both times we say a prayer beginning with Ahava there was a Minhag uh, in some places that they would say Pamain Omrim, they would say they would say twice every day Shema Yisrael Hashem Lakeinu Hashem Echad, and then the Chazan would repeat Shema Yisrael Hashem Lakeinu Hashem Echad. Say it two times to say like Pamain Be'ahava. However, this is a problem because the Gemara Brachot of Beit famously says Kol Omer Shema Shema Meshatkinoto. A person is not allowed to say Shema twice because it sounds like he believes in two gods. Therefore. Uh, some of the poskim, like the Manhig, recommend instead of saying Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekeinu Hashem Echad twice, just end like Rabbi Yahu Ben Rabbi Yehuda, one of the, the, the French from Paris, what, one of the French Rishonim would just say Echad twice. So no one would misunderstand that. Okay, but this, this Minhag, as far as I know, is extinct. Now, <laughs> this so much covers the Kedusha. Baruch Hashem, we're going to, we're finished the Kedusha of Musaf. We could spend another two weeks on it if we wanted to but that would be exhaustive and very academic. So let's get a little bit further with finishing the Musaf itself. In the Sfaradi Sidurim, after the Amidah, we have, the, we have as follows. Obviously, there's a Kaddish Chitkabal. But then it begins, And then, Right? Two braytot. Or Mishnah braytah. And then finally, Where in the world does this come from and why in the world are we saying this? The Ashkenazim don't have it. So when I looked at it and I stopped and I looked at it, 
I thought to myself, what could this possibly be? Why in the world would we say Kol Yisrael Yeshlam Chelik here? And I thought about it, and then I remembered that typically we say Kol Yisrael and we say Rechanan Ben Akashomer after we learn. Those are you know Mishnayot uh, and Brightot and Drashot that we say after we learn, and then we say a Kaddish. So do we learn after Musaf? And then I remembered that yes, we do. There is an old minhag brought in the Archot Chaim, and it's also brought in the, sorry, it's brought, uh, no, it's brought in the Manhig, that they used to do this in France, and it's brought in the Abu Durham, that they used to do this in Spain, that every Shabbat after Musaf, they would read, they would learn together one perek of the Mishnayot of the Masechet Shabbat, and they would finish the Masechet Shabbat after a number of weeks. So because every week after the Amidah they would do a perek of Mishnayot, they would finish the perek of Mishnayot, typically, as we all do, with Kol Yisrael Yishem Lachel and a Brayta here, a Brayta there, like like Amr Biudah Asherim Misha Amalo BaTorah, a Brayta about learning Torah, and then finally Rechananim Ben Kashi Omer, and then they would do Kaddish. I found this actually in a uh, manuscript of the uh, from Aragon, one of the uh, the Sidurim from Aragon, and this was the practice, and because the practice eventually. Uh, disappeared, the actual liturgical insertion never disappeared. So hilariously, till today, the Sfaradim have continued this tradition where we end Musaf with Kol Yisrael Yeshem even though we've completely, I guess for the sake of time, uh, deleted the minhag of learning after Musaf. Now the French did this too, but as we all know, the uh, French Jews didn't remain in southern France for as long as they remained in Germany. And the German Jews did not have this custom of learning after Musaf, so therefore their Sidurim till today do not have Kol Yishlam Chelak Okay, now the next part that we have in both rites, in both uh, Nusachs, is En Kelokenu. Now you might think to yourself, okay, En Kelokenu, we say that at the end of Shachrit of the weekday as well. So whatever reasons we have for saying it during the weekday, same reasons here. However, the Archot Chaim says that, no, this is deliberate. You see, if you do some countings, every Shabbat we lose 33 brachot. On a standard day, we're supposed to say 100 brachot, and we've discussed this topic before. However, on Shabbat, every Shmon Esrei has 11 fewer. So 11 plus 11 plus 11 is 33. So we're down 33 brachot. So how do we make up for them? So there's seven brachot in, every, in, in Musaf. Seven brachot in Musaf gets you seven. Six brachot in Sudash Shlishit, because you have, you know, the Tilat Yedayim, Hamotzi, and then the four of, of Birkat HaMazon. So that's 13. And then in this Ein Kelokenu, there's 20 Kinuyim. There is 20 uh, allusions to God's name in this paragraph. Man, uh, it's five times four, right? En mi noda baruch anata. And therefore, because there's... 20 allusions to God's name, that is like saying 20 brachot. Now, other poskim have different cheshbonot for how to, to fill up the 100 brachot that you lose on Shabbat. Some actually, you know, suggest to smell besamim and eat this and eat candies and do that just to make up 100 brachot. But this is the, uh, the, the teaching of the Rechot Chaim that this is why it was put here at the end of the, sh- the Shabbat davening. Okay, the next custom is to say pitumah kitoret. Now, 
This custom itself is quite old. We discussed it in Shir uh, 105. Uh, I think it was called Pitumak Torah or something like that. And the custom of saying Pitumak Torah after Tefillah itself is quite old. However, we find it also by the Ashkenazim, uh, the Rokeach and, and, and the Chsidi Ashkenaz and the Rokot Chaim, they all say that the Minhag was to put it after uh, the Musaf. So now, even though the Ashkenazim typically don't do this after, and we don't find in the early Ashkenazi dream that they would do it during the weekday, for some reason we find that they are doing the Pitumak Toret on Shabbat. So why is that? Why is it that weekdays they didn't, and on Shabbat they did put the Pitumak Toret after? Is there something special about the Shabbat? Is there something Kabbalistic about this? So there's two, two ways of thinking about it. One way of thinking about it is simply it's a time thing. Shabbat Avening is really long, and Pitumak Toret was seen as a bonus. And therefore, on the weekday they didn't do it, and on Shabbat they did. Another way to see this is from the Behag. And this is brought on the post scheme in Kuflamid Gimel in Orachayim. The Beit Yosef brings this, Maria Buha bringing the Orachot Chaim, who brings the Behag. Um, and the post scheme deal with it over there, where there's this suggestion that a person has to be very careful when he says Pitumak Toret, not to leave one of the 11 spices out, because if a person leaves one of the 11 spices out, the Mishnah says, you're Chayav Mita. So, because the Mishnah says, you be chay- the Baritah says, you be Chayav Mita, therefore you have, to be very careful. you have to be very careful when you read it. So because people were always rushed in the weekday and they were afraid that they were going to read it incorrectly, they never said it on the weekday. So the Beit Yosef himself doesn't like this, lo- doesn't like this logic, he dismisses it on various grounds. He's like, you're not chayav mita if you read the Brayta wrong. However, the Darkei Moshe assumes that this was the reason why, meaning the Ramah, he assumes that this was the reason why in Ashkenaz, the Minhag became to not say it in the weekday because people were too rushed, but on Shabbat when people had extra time and they could say it completely and correctly, they, um, they added it to the end. They, they kept it in the end of the Shabbat, shach, of the Shabbat Musaf. Despite the Ramah, the, the other Achronim do uh, suggest saying it, which is why, and the, the halakhic reasons for that uh, I won't enumerate now, but the Mishnah Bura and others do suggest strongly to say it. Therefore, the Ashkenazi dream today still do have it on the weekday davening at the end. So, so concludes our uh, discussion of the Shabbat Musaf, Baruch Hashem, uh, the Aleinu is uh, obvious, uh, so... You know, in the olden days, they didn't say Aleinu, today they do, etc. We've discussed that before. Next week, Bezrat Hashem will discuss uh, the Tefillah Mincha of Shabbat, and we will continue from there. So thank you everybody for tuning in and for attending in person, and we will continue next week.